Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Let's get into the Word. I tell you what, God is good, isn't He? And I, I think when we start to walk through uh, how God has used our nation, it's amazing. When you think about how uh, Tocqueville said that America is great because America is good, well, why is America good? I believe America is great and America has been good because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the service to the Lord, because of God's working in the midst of bringing this nation into a nation. You begin to think through all the different ways in which God has used America. It's amazing, folks. Whether it's World War I, World War II, whether it's the security of Israel and coming alongside of Israel, all those different things. Whether it's feeding who knows how many millions of starving people throughout the world. I mean, it's, you go through this and it's indescribable how God has used this nation. When I started to look through a lot of this and just pray through what it was that the Lord wanted us to share today, and I'm in Revelation. <laughs> There's moments where you look at Revelation, you go, oh, this is heavy stuff, isn't it? Understand that the whole tribulation period, the great tribulation, there's all kinds of different names we're going to look at it, is all about the lamb establishing his rightful rule and authority over the nations. See, sin is something that the Lord Jesus Christ will deal with. He's not going to let it go on forever. He's not going to let it extend. He will deal with sin. And I believe the Lord has used America in the midst of his plan to bring about his rule in a phenomenal way. And we see the moral fabric of our nation beginning to crumble, don't we? Now you can look at it from all kinds of different angles, whether it's the abortion issues, whether it's the tyranny that's taking place, the fake news. I don't care what you want to call it, and I don't care which side you want to go to. We got some problems, folks. Now more than ever as a church body, we need to make sure that we're rightly related with the Lord Jesus Christ so that Christ in and through us is being revealed into our families, into our friends, into our neighbors, obviously as a believing church, as brothers and sisters. We need the Lord now more than ever. And we trust that the Lord is sovereign, don't we? And we trust that God is good. And we trust that God is at work. And we trust that God can restore and repair. And we trust that the Lord one day is going to rule and reign. And he is going to bring justice to bear. And all the things that are wrong, he's going to make right. Praise God for that. I had to go back and look at some of the founding fathers' quotes. And I don't know if you've... Uh, really studied Benjamin Rush at all. When David Barton was with us last year, that was a sweet time, wasn't it? And when I heard him uh, a couple years ago in, in D.C. in the Capitol building and he started to talk about Benjamin Rush, I went, oh my goodness. You know, this guy, unbelievable. 
But he's got a great quote, and I think it's a good one for our day. He says, I've alternately been called an aristocrat and a democrat. He said, I'm neither. I'm a Christocrat. <laughs> that may be a good quote for our day, huh? John Jay says this, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Wow. Don't let the fake news media get that. The Bible is the best of all books. This is, again, John Jay. For it is the word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore, to read it and to regulate your life by its precepts. Oh, what a decision to take the Bible out of schools, to take prayer out of schools. George Washington Two quotes from him. This first one is longer, but bear with me. He says, O eternal and everlasting God, direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb and purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more in the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in the appointed time obtain the resurrection of the justified unto eternal life. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the world be filled with the knowledge of thy Son, Jesus Christ. That is our first president, folks. Amazing. He also said this, it is impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. Think about that. Oh, folks, doesn't it just kind of stab you a little bit? We look at the things that are going on. We look at rampant sin. We look at the things that are just absolutely not right. But there's hope in it, folks. There's always hope. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ will deal with sin. And he will rule this earth in righteousness. And we can trust him to accomplish that. And trust him to walk with us in the midst of our time. Do we trust him to do that? Do we trust the Lord? Are we walking with him every day? Are we saying yes to him in the midst of all these things? Are we walking in the righteousness of Christ? Is he our righteousness? Are we walking by his grace and his goodness? Are we experiencing him moment by moment, day by day, yielding to him in all the different decisions that face us every moment of every day? That's the question. When we talk about the tribulation, we talk about the great tribulation, we talk about Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year period of time where the Lord himself, as he begins to open these seals, brings judgment onto this earth. The question is, do we recognize that every sin will be righted, that God himself will intervene, that the Lord is going to put an end to those things that he recognizes as being completely anti-himself? I want to talk a little bit about the great day of the Lord, the tribulation, the great tribulation. 
How do we view this? See, in chapter 6, we've looked at chapters 4 and 5 where we have this amazing throne room scene. And in the midst of it, the Father in all his glory, and you have the living creatures, you have the 24 elders, and you have the angels, and the praise, and the applause, and the Lamb standing and receiving or taking from the Father, from his right hand, the scroll that has seven seals on it, indicating his right to this earth, and the bringing of judgment upon this earth. The questions become, well, what are we talking about? What is chapter 6 and on all about in terms of this time frame, this time period? What is it that we're looking at? Why is it important? What's the purpose of this time? Who's it for? What's it called? We can walk through all these different aspects of this and As we get into chapter 6 and that first seal is open and the four horsemen begin to be unleashed and judgment begins to take place, there's several things that we're going to look at ahead of that because I believe that they take place ahead of that. First of all, today, what is the tribulation or the great tribulation and all the different aspects of it? Secondly, next week, we're going to look at the Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist? Who potentially could be the Antichrist? What is the Antichrist? Who's he been called? What, what is his involvement in this time frame? And then we're going to look at the rapture, and I'm going to wear armor that day. everybody's got an idea of when the rapture takes place. And folks, I believe the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation for all kinds of reasons. But you know what? I'm ready in Christ for whatever comes. Amen? And I love how my father-in-law used to put it. If uh, you want to take the second bus, you go right ahead. I'm on the first. All right? I say that kiddingly. Come on. But let's look at the great day of the Lord. Wow. Isaiah 13, 6 says it this way. And think about the power of this. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. <laughs> Let me ask you something. How do you view sin? How do you view sin? Do you realize that the Lamb of God went to the cross in order to pay for our sin? Do you realize that the Lamb of God will open these seals and he will deal with sin? He will bring justice to bear. It will not go against. He will not overlook it. It is something he will bring judgment concerning. Well, what is the day of the Lord? How does this relate to the tribulation? What's the time period of the tribulation? What are the different names for the tribulation or the characteristics of the tribulation? What's the purpose and why should believers, if not in the tribulation, be concerned with the details of this time period? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Let's put it this way. The Lord Jesus Christ will come to judge sin and restore Israel to himself. He will rule over the nations. Well, the time period is basically Daniel's 70th week. And if you look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, there's a statement that is made in verse 27 about the Antichrist and a specific time period given. He he will make, meaning the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. 
Earlier in verse 24, it's very specific that there are 70 weeks that have been decreed for Israel. We know that 69 of those weeks have already taken place. It was from the uh, decree to rebuild the wall to the time of Messiah, the prince. Those were 69 weeks, 483 years. And after that, there came a parenthetical moment in history that none of the Old Testament prophets recognize. It's called the church age. And the church age began at Pentecost, and I believe the church age will end with the rapture. When the signing of the covenant takes place, which is what Daniel is being told in verse 27, immediately at that moment, Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year period of time, will begin. And this tribulation or great tribulation, this moment of the Lamb bringing justice to this earth in order to establish his millennial reign from Jerusalem will begin to take place. Well, what are the various names? There's many different names, and this has been confusing, I think, in many different ways. The 70th week of Daniel, as I've said, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, these verses alone contain many names given concerning this seven-year period, the tribulation, or the great tribulation, if you will, or Daniel's 70th week. He says, a day of wrath. Think about that. A day of wrath. He talks about this time period being the wrath of the Lamb. It is a day of trouble. It is a day of distress, a day of destruction, a day of desolation, a day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of clouds, a day of thick darkness, a day of trumpets speaking to the idea of war. Zephaniah records this for us. He says, near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. And then he begins to go through the explanations and the different names given to Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation, the great tribulation, the seven-year period of time. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, it is called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 37, it's called Jacob's distress and or Jacob's trouble, depending on which translation you have. Jeremiah records it this way. Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress. But he, meaning Jacob, will be saved from it. In Zechariah 12, where that day is referred to, speaking of the day of the Lord, chapter 12, it talks about Israel's salvation, deliverance, and repentance. In verse 10, it's very specific. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn speaking of Israel's response to the return of their Messiah. In Revelation chapter 6 verses 16 and 17 this time frame, this time period is called the great day of the wrath of the Lamb of God. 
The people that are under this wrath in verse 16 of Revelation 6 says this, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Wow. I like what Walverd says about this in his commentary on Revelation. He says, the day of wrath is at the beginning of the day of the Lord. That extended period when God is going to deal directly in governing the entire world. It is significant that early in the book of Revelation, the day of wrath is declared as having already come. It is another evidence that the great tribulation, the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year period of time, this Jacob's distress, Jacob's trouble, is already underway. John MacArthur puts it this way, the great day of their wrath is another term for the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, it's the day of Jehovah or the day of the Lord, depending again on your translation. Over and over and over again, this day is referred to, and it refers specifically to this 70th week of Daniel. So what's the purpose of this? We know it's going to be awful, awful. What's the purpose? Well, first of all, to put an end to sin as well as the rebellious. Isaiah 13, 9 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Wow. That's unequivocal language, isn't it? You can look further. I would encourage you to look at Isaiah chapter 24, there's so many passages on this and the purpose of the great day of the Lord, the day of Jehovah. All the nations will serve the Lord. The Lord is coming and he will put an end to sin and the rebellious and he will establish his rule and reign. And there are many passages on this. Revelation chapter 19 verses 15 through 16. We'll get there in about five years. But from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Why? Because he has a name above all names. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. He will rule the nations. But secondly... The whole tribulation period, the great tribulation, is specifically for the restoration of Israel and the ushering in of the promised millennium. Look over at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Daniel's so important in this. Gives us this picture, this understanding of what this is all about. But in Daniel 9, 24, he says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. That's 70 periods of seven. Uh, there's question as to whether that word week should be translated that way. It's really speaking to a period of time, and in this context, it's years. 70 weeks, 77s, 
490 years have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Did you count that? How many things were there? Six. Six things specifically given. The first three, speaking of redemption with regard to the Israeli people, the Jewish people, in terms of their view of the Messiah. And the last three, the idea of the fulfilling of prophecy and the bringing about of the millennial kingdom that has been promised. Fruchtenbaum states it this way, a very important thing that must be noted is that the program of the 77s does not concern the church. It has nothing to do with God's plan and program for the church. Rather, the 77s program concerns who? Israel. I think that's absolutely essential. Well, let's look at these six things because they are so important to this time frame, to this 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation or the great tribulation. The first thing he says is to finish the transgression. What does he mean by that? I believe what he's saying here, what he's telling Daniel is that this tribulation period of time is specifically to finish or make an end of the national rebellion of the Jewish people towards the Messiah himself. That it will be God's way of reaching Israel and bringing them back to himself. There will be a national revival, if you want to think of it that way. Secondly, to make an end of sin. And this is talking about the specific sins of people and what they do on a regular basis. Israel will no longer sin on a daily basis. The new covenant of God will be made with them. They will be cleansed. They will be saved. They will believe in their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can read Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and following for all this information. It's absolutely fascinating. They will be restored into a right relationship with God through their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, they, were, they will enter into the new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. The third, to make atonement for iniquity. And this is even deeper in one sense because it's not just dealing with the actions and the activity. It's actually dealing with the removal of the sin nature itself from the individual. There's a, there's a sin nature that all of us have. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in him. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Christ comes to live within us. And one day when we see Jesus face to face, even this body of death will be done away with and we'll have a new body. And therefore, because we know that sin dwells within our flesh, we will no longer struggle with the sin nature at all. Anybody struggle with the sin nature? Anybody looking forward to the day when we don't? The power of sin in our lives has been broken. One day, the presence of sin will be done away with as well. For the Jewish people, when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the removal of that sin nature will take place immediately. So there's national, there's the personal, there's a sin nature that's been dealt with. The fourth thing that is told Daniel is speaking of Israel's return to the Lord and to the millennium. He says to bring in everlasting righteousness. Speaking of the millennium where the Lord will rule and reign and the characteristic of his rule and reign during the millennium will be righteousness. Activity 
that conforms to the righteous standard of God. (laughs) Won't that be beautiful, friend? Think about that. Fifth, to seal up vision and prophecy, meaning to bring to fulfillment all that has been prophesied, to bring it all to a conclusion. Ephesians tells us that everything that God is doing right now is to bring all things into the administration of Christ himself. This last seven-year period of time, Daniel's 70th week, the great tribulation or the tribulation, is specifically to deal with sin, to deal with those who are rebellious, to bring the nations under the authority and the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as well as to bring Israel back to himself. Folks, those people who believe in replacement theology are dead wrong. God is not finished with Israel. There will be a national revival, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself will make sure that they are restored to himself. Think about that. It's amazing. You realize how America has been part of God's program to see Israel become a state and to watch over and to protect and come alongside? It's amazing. When I hear politicians saying we don't need to help Israel or we need to help whatever countries over there that are suddenly sworn to try to destroy Israel, I say, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? We may not agree with everything that Israel does, but we ought to absolutely stand by Israel all the way. The last thing that is told Daniel is to anoint the most holy place. And this could be either the fourth temple of the millennium, or Jerusalem itself. The word anoint is the word Christ, and it has the idea of Christ ruling, the anointed one ruling from Jerusalem and that fourth temple of the millennium. Wow. First Thessalonians. We're going to look at this more in depth over the next couple weeks. But I wanted to look at this because I think The question in so many different ways is, what does this time period have to do with us? If it's true that the rapture takes place prior to this tribulation, this seven-year period of time that is for Israel and for the end of sin and the rebellious on this earth, the bringing about of the millennial kingdom and the rule and reign of Christ on this earth, which I believe that's correct, how then should we live? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 3 and following, Paul is telling the Thessalonian believers, while they're saying peace and safety, there will be a, a false peace prior to the signing of the covenant in this seven-year period of time. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon who? Them. Them. Paul doesn't include us or himself in that statement. Destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. He's pointing the Thessalonian believers to something that's going to take place that they are not going to be a part of. And I believe that's important to note. He says, but you, brethren, 
are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. I believe that's absolutely significant. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. One quote on this is, I believe, helpful. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says it this way, the wrath of God that will have been building up over some time will suddenly break forth. The signs of its coming are discernible, even though the moment of its arrival is unpredictable. No more can the world escape the coming wrath of God when it breaks out on the day of the Lord than a pregnant woman can escape labor pains. A strong expression is used in the Greek, a double negative, to stress that fleeing will be futile. Think about that. We are not in the darkness that the day should overtake us. We should not be surprised at the times. We don't know when the rapture is going to take place. It is a signless event. It could literally take place today. But as I spoke on a few weeks ago, there are specific events that have been prophesied concerning this coming Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble or the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation or the great tribulation, and how then shall we live? as children of the light, as children of the day. How should we be looking to the Lord each and every moment of each and every day, yielding our lives to him, to be used of him in whatever way that he chooses? How should our lives look different than unbelievers? And how should we be sharing the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with those around us who, if they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, cannot escape this time when it comes. Friend, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what God's doing in your life. Are you as troubled as I in so many different ways? And I don't want to dwell on the bad things. Does anybody like doing that? But I think we've got to be realistic, don't we? I think we've got to look at things for what they really are. We can't just keep looking back. We can't just hope that it's going to get better and expect that somebody else is going to step in and help make sure that takes place. I think each and every person here, each and every one of us has a role to play. Each and every one of us is essential with regard to Hoffmantown Church, with regard to the kingdom of God and God's program. How are we walking individually but also corporately as a body of believers, arm in arm, locking shields together, walking by faith and saying, my life is for you, O Lord. How are we doing that? I think we've allowed some things to creep in 
that we've got to acknowledge. I think we've allowed some things to take place in this nation that are sinful, that are wrong, and we need to acknowledge it. We need to repent of it. We need to get right with God about it. And we got to get serious about our time because there's always hope in Christ Jesus. His grace is amazing. How are we walking day by day to say yes to the Lord? How are we God-focused? How are we Christ-centered? How are we walking by faith so that those around us who have no hope recognize there is a God and he's able to transform. He really is able to save. What are we doing? How are we in the word of God? When I say in the word of God, that can mean all kinds of different things. I understand that. But how are we actually in the word of God recognizing that the word of God is the only thing that changes anything? I mean, do we, we love to go back and listen to our forefathers. And when George Washington says that it's impossible to rule without God and the Bible, we all say amen. But the question is, how are we living that day by day? Because the truth of the matter is he's not saying from Washington, D.C. that this takes place. He's talking about our hearts. He's talking about us individually walking in the righteousness of God himself, ruled by the Holy Spirit so that our activity is in conformity with his goodness and his righteousness. How are we walking in light of that truth? How are we saying yes to the Lord? moment by moment, day by day. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 